where the WGA and AMPTP finally come to an agreement. Yes, that's right. We're super freaking excited because we are right there. We're right there to getting back to work. I've already yes. seen some things going back. I mean, Stranger Things, they put out on their social media, we're back. Yes. Oh, my goodness. We know how long they take for writing their season, so definitely worth the wait, I'm sure. But, man, oh, man, I'm super excited to go into all the details about this interim agreement. Yes, and unfortunately – this took a while, so there were some victims. So we're going to go into all of the details of what got canceled because of the strike as well, which really sucks because there was a couple of my favorites on there, and I know yours too, that that just, it's not cool. It's not cool. We got that plus all the other stuff. There's some more executives coming and going. There's a lawsuit coming. There's just so many good things, man. Oh, it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. I'm super freaking excited. Well, let's get into this bad boy. What's up, guys? Oh, my goodness. Episode 235. And you guys Woo! know your host with the most, myself, JLo Fantastic, and the one and only Mouse. What's up? Oh, freaking boy. Uh, we got <laughs> all the news about the WGA and AMPTP interim agreement. We're super excited about it. We're going to be talking all about what they got, what they didn't get. Man, oh, man. It's uh, it's interesting. That's oh, for sure. Woo. It's really interesting. <laughs> you might need like a law degree to even figure it out, but we're going to clear it up for you. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Exactly, man. Exactly. There are some uh, shows that we're going to be um, mourning this week. I will say that with some of our favorites, I will say that some of our favorites did get canceled due to the strikes, um, but hopefully they're shopping it out to other studios hopefully. and hopefully we can uh, see that stuff again. But man, it's going to be a great one. But before we tease the rest of this show and get into it, be sure to leave a rating on this podcast, comment below, and tell us what you actually think about It Cap Podcast. <laughs> because leaving a rating actually helps the podcast get seen by more people who enjoy the entertainment news and those who are trying to break into the entertainment industry. But man, oh man, it's going to be super freaking great. And of course, we got to plug our merchandise. And this wasn't even planned. We are wearing <laughs> the exact same shirts. That's right. You can get this design right now on crazyantmedia.com and go over to our shop tab and start rocking the latest and greatest Crazy Ant Media gear. If you want to stay up to date with our promotional sales that we got going on, be sure to follow us at Crazy Ant Media and at ItCap Podcast so you can know when you can get those savings because yes. holidays are just around the corner Woo. and we all know savings are very freaking important in I this mean, day and age <laughs> dude i can't even it, it's like we're closing in on christmas so fast and we've got literally everything that you could possibly imagine as a christmas gift we've got and who wouldn't want it that's all i'm saying who wouldn't want it <sighs> exactly exactly i'm not gonna lie i've already started my christmas list for everybody else so i mean we're inching closer and closer jesus like i'm said. so far behind i'm always the last one on this thing man i'm a procrastinator i can't help it it's just okay it's okay we understand there's we always understand. one in the family there's always one it's like last exactly. minute what you guys want oh shit i gotta order it like you know whatever uh, exactly. thank god for amazon that's all i'm saying that's all seriously seriously <laughs> Um, but we have to start off the industry news with some somber news. Mm. This one uh, really hits home, definitely for all you wizard 
Wizarding World people out there, uh, all you Harry <laughs> Potter fans, all you Fantastic Beaks fans. Um, well, Michael Gambon, who is an uh, Irish-English actor best known for his role as the Hogwarts headmaster, Albus Dumbledore, in the four um, Harry Potter movies, because remember there was two Dumbledores. This was the second Dumbledore. The first Dumbledore died um, after the second film, so this one came in and replaced him and did an amazing job. And honestly, my favorite Dumbledore. Um, he was 82 years old. Now, Gambon took over the role as Albus Dumbledore, like I said, uh, after the death of Richard Harris. Um, now, Gambon admitted that he had never really read the Harry Potter books, while it is easier for a character actor often working in supporting roles to rack up a large number of credits than it is for lead actors, but Gambin was just so prolific in this role. I feel like everybody just enjoyed his interpretation and his role that he made with Harry Potter. He really connected the two. You know, it was absolutely amazing. And this man had over 150 TV and film yeah. credits in his era, uh, when half of that number would be impressive and unusual. Because, I mean, let's be honest about it. It's hard for actors just to get up to that 100 mark. Um, and this is for a man whose body of stage work is also prolific as well. So yeah. it is a great loss in the entertainment industry, and especially those who are big Harry Potter fans like myself. Um, it is definitely one that was felt around the world uh, this past couple of days. So just had to throw that in there. And it really sucks because today I actually bought the Hogwarts game for Xbox One. So going back and playing this game is going to be kind of sad because i mean i'm just gonna remember all those fond times that i had watching these movies with other people and knowing the passing of someone great so i mean it it's truly sad man it, it really is it really is but i mean you know long life uh, just an amazing mm. career i mean if you're gonna do it that's the way to do it right i mean yeah, no doubt for about sure. it no doubt for about sure. it you you haven't even got to his uh, Dumbledore. I have He's not yet, so I'm Richard, excited. Yeah. I'm excited to be able to see that. So now it's it's really going to be interesting to see the transition between the two. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be yeah. awesome. Speaking of awesome, let's just dive into it. The WGA, as we said, they did reach a tentative agreement with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, otherwise known as the AMPTP, on a new three-year minimum basic agreement. Now, on September 26th, the negotiating committee, the WGA West Board, and the WGA East Council all voted unanimously to recommend the agreement. It will now go to both guilds' memberships for a ratification vote. Now, all eligible voters will be able to vote from October 2nd, which is this coming Monday, through October 9th, and will receive ballot and ratification materials when the vote opens. Now, the WGAW board and the WGA East Council also voted to lift the restraining order and end the strike as of 12.01 a.m. Pacific time this past Wednesday, which was awesome. Now, this allowed writers to return to work during the ratification process, but does not affect the membership's right to make a final determination on the contract approval. Here's the rundown of the key issues that have been settled in the tentative agreement 
that the Writers Guild of America reached on September 24th with the AMTP. Are you ready? Because, guys, get ready. Like Logan said, buckle in. This is a lot, but it's important, and we want to try to clear this up for you guys. We really do. And one of the big things was the minimum TV writers room for staffing because, you know, with the streaming stuff, it kind of limits everything. So they that was a big issue. So the WGA asked for a minimum of six writers for a series that has been greenlit for at least six episodes per season. Now, the agreement calls for at least three writer slash producer members of who are more senior to be hired on all series and that number can include the showrunner as well the number of members at the more junior writer or staff level will rise on a sliding scale Hmm. depending on the number of episodes ordered now a six episode series calls for at least three writer level hires series uh that runs about seven to twelve episodes per season have to hire at least five writers now series that run for 13 episodes or more must hire six writers the new component of the contract makes an exception for solo writer shows such as the white lotus or big little lies in which all episodes are written by a single writer now in those cases The writer's initial deal with the studio, network, or streamer must call for the writer to work as a solo act from the get-go, from the Mm. start. Or, as described by the Guild in its summary of deal highlights, the minimum staff levels are enforced unless a single writer is engaged to write all the episodes. There are also new rules about the deterrent of employment for writers and there is yet another stipulation designed to ensure that less experienced writers get the chance to observe the production and post-production process now per the guild's two writer producers must be employed for lesser of 20 weeks of production or the duration of production along with uh, the showrunner now That addresses the concern that the writers and writer-producers are not getting the exposure and apprenticeship time they need to develop into full-fledged showrunners. Now, four pre-green-lit rooms, a.k.a. during the development process, requirements are that if three writers are hired, at least three writer-producers, including the showrunner, be granted 10 consecutive weeks of employment. Mm. Now, that addresses complaints from writers that the short duration of uh, contemporary uh, writers' rooms made for difficult work experiences and hard to amass enough earnings to qualify for health care. Moreover, if a series is born out of a pre-greenlit development room, at least two writer-producers who worked in the pre-greenlit room must be hired for the series writer's room. So that's all of that. Yeah, and you know, I, I, I really like that. So the larger the episode count, the more writers are required to be hired. And I'm glad you also cleared up because I think a lot of people were trying to figure this out. Like, what about the Taylor Sheridans? What about those people that write the whole show themselves? Are they going to be forced to hire these extra writers? And so apparently the answer is 
No, they are not yeah. going to be forced to do that. So, okay, what was the next big thing that they were worried about, right? The one thing that they're like, no, no, we have to have this taken care of because they were getting slighted. I'm, of course, talking about residuals. We all saw them posting about their residuals that they were getting 49 cents here, $1.29 there. Well, the WGA fought hard and secured what the AMPTP dubbed a success-based bonus for made-for-streaming TV programs and movies. Now, the paltry residual fees that writers received from streaming platforms was one of the animating forces for the walkout. Like I said, the new formula pays writers a bonus for original TV shows and movies that are broad-based hits for subscription-based platforms such as Netflix, Amazon Prime, Apple TV+, Max, Hulu, and other streamers. Now, the bonus covers high-budget, made-for-streaming titles. Most original series on major streamers meet the high budget threshold, but the emphasis on made for streaming titles means that older series that were originally produced for non-streaming platforms, for example, the USA network drama Suits, uh, that has recently been a popular binge watch for Netflix users, would not qualify for the bonus. That doesn't seem right. For made for streaming titles that are viewed by 20% or more of the service's domestic subscribers in the first 90 days of release or the first 90 days of any subsequent year that the title is on the platform, writers will receive a bonus ranging anywhere from $9,000 to $16,400 for TV episodes and $40,500 for a feature film with a budget of over $30 million. Now, this bonus structure takes effect... Oh, excuse me. Uh, This bonus structure takes effect for titles released after January 1st of 2024, the bonuses are equal to 50% of the fixed domestic and foreign residuals, even though the viewership threshold is only based on U.S. subscribers. Now, the focus on engagement across the uh, services subscriber base was on a solution that allowed for Apple to Apple's comparisons for a smaller platform like Apple TV compared to Netflix with its more than 76 million subscribers in the U.S. Now, as expected, the WGA also will see a big hike in foreign streaming residuals coming under the new contract. Similar to the terms baked into the Directors Guild of America contract that was set in May, the foreign residual calculation is expected to bring in a 70 increase in foreign residual payments over the three years for the streamers, with the largest global subscriber bases over three years. Now, the WGA said Netflix's foreign residual payments for an hour-long episode of TV will climb to $32,830 over the three-year time frame compared to what it is now at $18,684. So that is a significant jump. All of that sounds amazing, except for these licensed shows that are now huge hits. They're not going to get fucking paid for that. that I, I mean. Yeah. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm interpreting that as this will start in the new year. So all past projects, this does not count for. This does not count towards. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And anything that wasn't made for a streamer. So you're talking mm. Frasier, Friends, l- l- like Big Bang, t- all these shows that were made for network that are currently running on the streamers all over the place, they are never going to get these bonuses because it is strictly made for streamer content. And what does that say about Yellowstone? 
Because yeah, Yellowstone exactly. was a Paramount Network show first before it was Paramount Plus. So, mm, mm. Well, and it's in the past, like like we just talked about. It yeah. has to be shows that come out in 2024 or beyond that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just crazy bonkers to me because there are all these big shows like a succession or like a Yellowstone, like you said, that I'm sure just do massive numbers or like we brought up earlier, like suits that they're getting nothing bare minimum uh, back to the old contract. So that's super unfortunate. Well, you know what I think the solution for suits is revival. Yeah, right. <laughs> the revival will be made for the streamer, specifically yeah. made for the streamer. Everybody wants it. Everybody. I mean, Patrick J got scolded for saying that he wanted it. Like a SAG came right after him. He had to apologize. What the fuck? But I mean, I, I think that would be the way, right? If there's a popular show that's currently on a streamer that wasn't made for the streamer, and it's been a while since we've since it was originally aired. Fucking bring that shit back as a revival and pay those people. I think that's the way we're going to see it go. I'm just saying. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. And another big one that, I mean, a lot of people were talking about. You know, a lot of outside people thought the strike was due to this. Of course, this was just a part of it along with the residuals and different things. Um, but we're talking about artificial intelligence, mm. AI, because chat GPT popped up and everybody's kind of scared of it. Well, the WGA wrangled uh, guardrails around the use of generated uh, generative AI in the creative process, including a provision that gives the guild itself the power to challenge the use of writers' existing work to train AI software programs. Oh. Now, AI-generated material can't be used to undermine the writer's credit or separated rights. The contract language states, per the Guild, um, AI can't write or rewrite literary material, and AI-generated material will not be considered source material under the MBA, meaning that the AI-generated material can't be used to undermine the writer's credit or separated rights. And also, a writer can choose to use AI when performing writing services. If the company consents and provided that the writer follows applicable company policies, but the company can't require the writer to use the AI software, like what I just said, ChatGPT, when performing the writing services. Um, the company must also disclose to the writer if any materials given to the writer have been generated by AI or incorporated AI-generated material, so they have to be informed. Um, and the WGA reserves the right to assert the exploitation of writers' materials to train AI um, is prohibited by the MBA um, or other law. So that's something that's really big there. So not getting the credit. So that was really big. They yeah. were worried that um, writers would basically be eliminated, exterminated, as you could say, um, from their jobs. Um, and they have the ability to say, no, I don't want to use this. Or yes, I do want to use this. I feel like that's very important. For sure. And I think the biggest thing in there, too, that I saw is that that – I'm thrilled to see is that they can't take past scripts from these writers to train yeah. AI to write new scripts because I think a lot of people are worried about that. Well, we'll just feed it seasons one through four and then tell it to write seasons five through eight based on what it learns from the first four seasons. Well, they're not allowed to do that. So, 
I also like that they give the writers a choice if they want to be helped by AI a little bit. They have the choice to do it if they want to, but they have to inform everybody else that that's the case. I think this is good. This seems like a fair thing for AI, you know, for the writers. I think that was a good solution. It's going to be more tricky for the actors, I think, because they're going to have to get paid for when they're generated. That's all. We'll we'll get into that. Agreed. This seems pretty good for the writers. Now, for screenwriters... The contract enshrines the policy of ensuring that the vast majority of screenwriters will get a second step or paid to do at least one rewrite of a draft screenplay. Now, the AMPTP initially offered to agree to those terms only on wholly original screenplays, not projects that are derived from existing uh, intellectual property or reboots or remakes of older titles. Now, the WGA worried that that nuanced terms would only encourage studios to pursue more remakes and IP-driven content. So under the new terms, per the Guild, a second step is required whenever a writer is hired for a first draft screenplay for 200% of minimum or less, including original and non-original screenplays. It also applies to spec scripts that are purchased outside of the unusual or the usual development process. Now, another big gripe among feature writers in recent years has been the slowness in the payment schedules for the screenplays. Screenwriters who earn 200% of the WGA minimum or less must be paid half of that fee now at the start of the deal. If a draft isn't delivered within nine weeks, another 25% of the fee is due the writer with the remaining 25% to be paid after the delivery of the draft. Now, screenwriters working on made-for-streaming films will also see an 18% gain on minimum compensation for story and teleplays, which rises to $100,000 for movies with a budget of $30 million or more. This gain, coupled with the foreign residual streaming increases, will yield a residual of about 216000 over three years for titles airing on the largest services, which marks a 49% increase from the terms of the Guild's previous contract inked in 2020. So, yeah, those are significant jumps, and I like those protections. I mean, if you deliver this, you get this. If you deliver this, you get this. If you have to rewrite this much of the script, you get this. I like that. That sounds good. Oh, most definitely. And everybody's been curious, too, because in Hollywood, there is a lot of writing duos. There is a lot of writing teams like the Duffers, the Russos. The list goes on and on. And us. Um, Well, yeah, and us. (laughs) (laughs) Writers who work as duos, though, or in larger groups have long been handicapped um, under the guild contract to earn the minimum threshold each year to qualify for health care benefits. That's because the fees made up by duos had to be split between the two writers or whoever's in the group, which made it harder to reach the earning threshold. Now, for the purposes of calculating health and uh, pension benefits, each writer will be credited with earning the full fee even though it is split across the team now per the guild each writer on a writing team employed for a script will receive pension and health contributions up to the relevant cap as though they were a single writer rather than splitting the apical uh apical cap Uh, Now, in addition, when a writing team is employed on a series, the contribution for each writer on the team will be made on a full weekly minimum instead of one half of a weekly minimum. So Um, that's awesome. 
That I mean, yeah. because that would affect people like us. If you write as a duo, why should you only get the fee for one writer and have to split it? That's totally fucked up. Like, yeah, I mean, com- completely agree because everybody's got to eat, everybody's got to work, everybody gets sick. So you need to be able to <laughs> go to the doctor. Hell yes. <laughs> But That's... I mean, now that the writer's strike is over, Hollywood studios are gearing up to get production rolling again. Once the other halves of once the other half of this year's dual strike, uh, the ongoing SAG after walkout is finally settled. From Star Trek to Superman Legacy to About Elementary to Wednesday, every studio, network, and streamer has priority film and television projects that they hope to fast track back into development or production facts now audiences cannot survive uh reruns alone had the strikes lasted a few weeks longer the 2023-2024 broadcast season would have become even more dependent on unscripted shows and programs imported from streaming platforms and overseas markets Now, several big movie projects could see pre-production resume very quickly. Paramount is hoping to have writers uh, fine-tuning scripts for its planned reboot of Star Trek and the adapted adaptation of uh, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six. And Warner Brothers, of course, would dearly love to see Matt Reeves hunched over on his computer, diving back into Gotham's underworld with his planned (laughs) The Batman sequel. Now, other projects such as Minecraft and James Gunn's Superman Legacy have completed scripts altogether and can begin production this spring, assuming their deals with actors. We're still just waiting on that one. But Universal is hoping to that the resolution of the writer's strike will mean that the studio will get back to its new draft of Fast X Part 2. I mean, you don't have to. Don't right, have to. right. I mean, I, <laughs> that one would be okay if you don't. I mean. <laughs> Currently expected to roll out in theaters <laughs> April 4th of 2025. But as soon as the sag afters work stoppage ends, Production can resume on several major movies, including the sequel to The Gladiator, which was almost halfway done uh, filming when Camel stopped rolling at uh, Malta in July as actors started picketing. Now, there is a, another Mission Impossible's Dead Reckoning Part 2, uh, the globe-spanning adventure that is still had some scenes to shoot, as well as Beetlejuice 2 as well as Clint Eastwood's uh, Juror Number 2, and the much-anticipated Deadpool 3, and in some cases only had a few days' work remaining. Mm. Ah, such bad timing. As also the stalled Twister sequel to the 1996 tornado thriller starring Glenn Powell and Daisy Edgar-Jones um, as the Storm Chasers. The project, uh, that project was roughly week, a week into production in Oklahoma before it was shut down. So, I mean, there's so many freaking things. Dude. And I know you're super excited about all of your television ones. Oh, heck yeah, man. And, you know, you, it's so funny about what you just talked about, about with the screenwriters and then getting paid based on original screenplays or rewriting. And they were worried about the studios leaning towards the remakes or sequels, everything you just listed that's about to go back into production were fucking sequels or remakes. So there's exactly. why they were worried. I mean, and that, but I am excited about most of those, especially Twisters, because I loved Twister. 
And Glenn yeah. Powell's just been slaying lately, bro. So I, I'm excited for that one. And you're right. I am excited about TV, too. So what's happening there? Well, on the television front, most networks and streamers are focused on picking back up with long-running shows and big-budget freshman series that were in pre-production or already shooting. Rather than, and this is not good news for us, but we're going to deal with it anyway, rather than developing anything new. That's because they won't have to put in as much time filling out writer's rooms or casting new roles. Instead, especially for shows many seasons in, they can reassemble the same ensembles and creative teams and get back to work relatively quickly. Now, as soon as the actors endorse a deal, broadcast shows such as ABC's Grey's Anatomy and Abbott Elementary, Fox's 911 Lone Star and Dick Wolf's Law & Order Chicago and FBI franchises are among the top priority projects to begin shooting. But that also means it could be a rough couple of months of return-to-work schedules for the writers and talent attached to those shows. Now, while those episodes are being fast-tracked, uh, you could expect any remaining holes in the broadcast October and November plans to be full of some more wild little experiments like CBS deciding to air reruns of Yellowstone, a hit sister for its cable network, Paramount Network, which has proven to be a big draw for the broadcast audience, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Now, TV development budgets for 2024 are expected to be greatly pared down as the studios work through the backlog after the five-month strike pause. Now, on the movie side, some titles that were targeted for the debut in 2024 and 2025 will have to still be delayed. That's a problem for cinemas, which have been struggling with the dearth of new releases for more than two years because of the COVID pandemic and upended shooting schedules back in 2020 and 2021. So we're going to see a lot, but it's going to take a little bit. And we might still see some plug in with reruns or, or different things like that. But it is great news, and then it's also sad news. Because of the strike and losing all the money that they lost, creators that may have had projects in the works might not see it now. Or if they do get greenlit, it might be for significantly less than what they were going to make off of it before all of this. So that's difficult, but that's just something the industry is going to have to overcome because at some point they are going to need new content. And, and I mean, so we'll get back there. I think it was the right thing to do to get the right deals for everybody. And then we'll worry about trying to recover from what, what happened. Right. I mean, first let's fix it and then we'll get over what happened. So exactly, exactly. Everything takes time. And we know this industry is kind of like a hurry up and wait. It's a slow roll, slow burn, but we're, uh, we're, we're very hopeful. We see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yes. And we, during all of this WGA contract, we did mention SAG-AFTRA and how they're still on strike. Well, lead negotiators for SAG-AFTRA and the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers will head back to the table on Monday, this upcoming Monday, yes. October 2nd. Now, several executives from the AMPTP member companies will be in attendance. SAG-AFTRA negotiation uh, lead Duncan uh, Crabtree Ireland and union president Fran Drescher um, are expected to convey with the producers with the renewed free uh, forever as the creative company is unnumberable. Um, intersecting businesses breathed uh, fresh of sigh, uh, I guess you could say, a sigh of relief that the WGA's 146-day war with the studios and streamers ended on September 26th. 
Now, this is back-channeling between Crabtree, Ireland, and the four prominent media CEOs who helped the broker uh, with the WGA deal. Now, Disney's Bob Iger, NBC Universal's Donna Langley, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery's David Zasloff, and Netflix's Ted Sarandos stated immediately after the writers reached a tentative deal, the AMPTP and the SAG-AFTRA have not resumed bargaining in good faith since the union, um, consisting roughly of 160,000 members, went on strike on July 14th. Now, collateral damage has been considerable uh, in mm. some cases for the worldwide box office <coughs> and certainly in regards to the fall film festival cycle. When SAG-AFTRA resumes bargaining with the Association of Motion Picture and Television Producers on Monday, the talks will be held at the union's headquarters on Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles rather than the AMPTP's offices in Sherman Oaks. Now, that's very interesting as they have had been um, working more in the AMPT off AMPTP offices Um so that's very interesting since July. So they have, have trying to do those conversations back and forth. But SAG after officials have insisted on a venue change because they weren't happy with the AMPTP setup where the contract negotiations, like I said, have been historically held. Now, the AMPTP headquarters have been the site for the studio reps ongoing conversations with the Writers Guild as well. So that's very interesting with the change of venue, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. They want fresh. They want new. And it was good. While they didn't name them by name, they did say representatives from the uh, AMPTP's companies would be there. I'm assuming that means we're going to see those CEOs, those same CEOs back in the room to help get this shit done with the actors too. So that's really good news. Hopefully that works out really quickly. They can come to a, a historic agreement and they're all good to go to get back into television and movies. But... But hold on, because they might be on another strike. Yes, that's right. They might clear up this strike and be able to work in movies and TVs, but what about your favorite video games? Well, SAG-AFTRA also said this week that its scheduled talks with the video game industry, which began Tuesday have ended with no agreement. In a statement, the union said SAG-AFTRA and video game employers concluded scheduled negotiations for the interactive media agreement. No deal was reached, and the current agreement will remain in effect while the parties make final efforts to reach a deal. Now, that news comes just days after SAG-AFTRA's 160,000-strong membership voted overwhelmingly, surprise, surprise, to authorize a strike against 10 of the major video game companies. The vote was 98% in favor. Now, the 10 companies facing a possible strike are Activision Productions Incorporated, Blind Light LLC, Disney Character Voices Inc., Electronic Arts Productions Inc., Epic Games Inc., Formosa Interactive LLC, Insomniac Games Inc., Take-Two Productions Inc., VoiceWorks Productions Inc., and Warner Brothers Games Inc. So basically, any of the most popular video games that you play, if you're a gamer, your company's affected. And this is, I mean, as you guys know, they, these things have gotten so realistic and so just, it's like you're watching a movie. And they have A-list stars, actors and stuff, not just voicing these characters, but doing the motion capture and having their image look like these characters. So it only makes sense that they're like, we're basically doing a performance in a show and we want to get paid. And 
So we could see another strike, guys, with this time against the... We'll keep you updated, and let's hope not. But Jesus, man. It's I just, know. Ugh. I know. Uh, just like whenever said, there's a I, light, every, it's like, wait, wait, hold on. Hold on. Everything else is getting there, but then this is like, whoop, 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 whoop. Yeah. Nope, yeah. can't happen. Oh, my goodness. Well, I know you guys are wondering, is there anything else in the news besides <laughs> SAG-AFTRA and WGA? <laughs> yes, there actually is. We're super excited to talk about it because now we're going to dive into Disney, the juggernaut that we all know and love. Well, Disney and Marvel's The Marvel has secured a China release oh. on November 10th, a day and date with north america now the sequel to the one billion dollar plus worldwide grossing captain marvel is the largest major studio tentpole to be granted access to the market since oppenheimer went out on august 30th now it also is wasting no time in spreading the world uh, locally leveraging the uh, uh, mid-autumn festival um, and National Day Golden Week celebrations across the next week. Now, overseas rollout began November 8th with North America and now China joining November 10th. Whether uh, talent eventually makes it to China to promote the Marvels, that's the question we are waiting on. And we'll see. We'll see. I mean, stars overall have not really been visiting there since the pandemic happened. Um, so that's going to be very interesting. And I saw a story today and I don't know if it's true or not, but it's coming from one of the accounts that um, is very trusted and is very on their shit. Uh, but they're saying the Marvels is going to have like a an hour and 45 minute runtime. Um, yeah. So that that'll be interesting because we've seen in the past that the shorter, shorter Marvel movies are not that great, but I have hopes for this one, man. I, I mean, I'm still a Marvel believer, but it's been rough to be a Marvel fan recently. I'm yeah. not going to lie. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And if it is true, it will indeed be the shortest Marvel movie ever. And yeah. But you know what? This kind of makes sense to me because we heard there were some production issues. It was shooting during COVID and then it was shut down for several other reasons and then back and everything. And they've all but said that this thing is basically just a launch pad to the next to, to secret and uh, secret wars. Right. They're just yeah. it's literally setting up secret. war. So if it's just a short little version to launch all the other stuff, it kind of makes sense. So um, yeah. we'll see. I'm hoping like you, though, that it's a good launch pad and not just it's really short because it sucked. Uh, you know, exactly. that's, that's, <laughs> I don't want it to run an hour and 45 because they had to cut everything because it sucked so bad. That's that's fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. This is interesting, too, to me. Disney-branded television announced today that Danny Glover, yes, Danny Glover, will play Santa Claus in its forthcoming original movie, The Naughty Nine. Now, the teaser for the project, which will be released on the Disney Channel and Disney+, Plus, and the first photo of Glover in character were also released. Now, in The Naughty Nine, mischievous fifth grader Andy finds himself without a present from Santa on Christmas morning. Realizing he must have landed on the naughty list and feeling unfairly maligned, Andy pulls together a team of eight other naughty uh, listers to help him execute an elaborate heist in Santa's village at the North Pole to get the presents they feel they deserve. Now, along the way, the group comes to realize that the very best way off the naughty list is to redirect their unique talents for good instead of mischief. The Naughty Nine will debut November 22nd at 8 p.m. Eastern on the Disney Channel and Thanksgiving Day on Disney+. Plus. Um, That sounds cool. That, I mean, that sounds like a nice premise. It sounds pretty funny. But Danny Glover as Santa Claus? 
I'm a yeah, little right, worried about I, this. Uh, I met Danny <laughs> Glover a few years back, and um, he's a little. Uh, he just didn't there seem all there. Yeah, so um, I hope Santa doesn't have a lot of dialogue. That's all I'm saying. Because uh, <laughs> very nice man. I, I don't get me wrong. I, it was a pleasure meeting him, and he was very cordial and very. Just didn't seem to be able to carry much of a conversation, though. That's all I'm saying. That's why I'm yeah. a little worried about they keep they keep talking about going back for Lethal Weapon too. I'm just like, can we though? Can can we? I yeah, think can no. we not? I think Murtaugh is probably done, right? I, yeah. I just mm. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I mean, anyway, I don't. I don't think a lot of people would be going out for mail either. So let's yeah, be no. About it. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, it's just. Uh, we'll see, and so I'll try funny. to post that picture of me and Danny. It's a it's a great picture, but you know. Mm. All right. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> heading over to Warner Brothers Discovery. We're super excited about this one because there's always been these theories: um, who's going to stay in the DCU from the DCU? That's right. And you know, James Gunn is uh, bringing his luggage, and it's all Louis, like <laughs> Deion Sanders says. Uh, um, the DC co-boss James Gunn took to Instagram thread to field uh, fan questions and in the process confirmed that Blue Beetle himself, I'm always going to fuck up his name, uh, Yolo Maradina, uh, will sure. continue to play Blue Beetle. Um, Oscar winner Viola Davis will still be Amanda Waller. That's a given. Yeah. Um, Freddy's Storma will continue to be vigilante. I'm excited about that because I loved his interpretation in Peacemaker. And speaking of the one and only Peacemaker, we can see him this time. Uh, John Cena will remain as that star fucking vigilante uh, anti-hero guy, I guess, if you want to say. But I, yes. I love that. I love that. Um, much of this isn't really shocking, though. I mean, it's just finally confirmed as James Gunn had already um specified that uh Meridina will continue playing Blue Beetle in the DC universe. We already knew that. Uh this despite the fact that the Latino superhero uh movie performed so so at the box office, but it was actually a good movie. So if you haven't seen it, go see it. Um the earnings just over 70 million domestic and 125 worldwide. So not um not great, not horrible, but you know, in the middle of the road. But with that budget, it's a little rough. In addition, we already knew that season two of Peacemaker on Max is already in the works. Gunn also uh, specified once again that his new DCU Chapter 1 Gods and Monsters begins with the animated series Creature Commandos. Yes. Um, so that's all very exciting because there's been a lot of speculation and we know you know, he has said before some of it is true and some of it's not. So it's exciting to see those people coming back to play those characters. Yes. But then James Gunn in James Gunn fashion had to go and make it confusing again because he said, while these people are coming back and playing these characters, they're not canon. Meaning yeah. what we've seen from them, even though it's the same actor playing the same character, it won't be the same character because their story no longer happened. It's not going to be canon. So how are we getting season two of Peacemaker if Peacemaker season one is no longer canon? I I don't understand that. That doesn't make yeah. sense to me. Like, so he's Peacemaker, but what you thought you saw of Peacemaker isn't Peacemaker because this is a new Peacemaker played by the old Peacemaker. Like, what the fuck, James? What are you doing to us? I don't understand. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I did like these people in these roles, though. So I am excited to see. And is this clearing the way for the confusion with Gail Godot? 
Will we see her as Wonder Woman, but it'll be a different Wonder Woman because Wonder Woman won't be canon? Is that what he's doing? Is he trying to clear that up? We don't fucking know. We don't know. I guess we're just going to find out. It's going to be, I don't know. It seems, though, however, that Blue Beetle has indeed come full circle. The superhero movie was originally slated as an HBO Max movie. Remember that? Along with Batgirl. Thankfully, this one got saved and Batgirl didn't, but you know. But then they decided to move it to a theatrical run during development. And while it was sort of a box office disappointment, but like Logan said, it's really an actually great fucking movie that sets up Booster Gold and all kinds of stuff. You should really see it. Despite getting the top spot during its opening weekend in early August. Now, Blue Beetle might find more of an audience when it's released on digital uh it's available to stream as a digital rental or purchase in 4k ultra for $19.99 or $24.99 respectively on prime video right now so you can't watch it on max yet but you can rent it or buy it on prime video there you go there you go man there you go well, okay, we all know HBO is very eager to take fans back to Westeros uh, for more backstabbing incest and power plays with the second season of House of the Dragon, targeting a summer 2024 premiere and looking ahead to a yet-to-be-ordered third season of Whoa. the Game of Thrones prequel. While House of the Dragon was able to wrap filming for the second season during the strikes, as the scripted were uh, the scripts were already completed and the production is under a UK union contract. That's interesting. Mm. Um, HBO was not able to produce new episodes of White Lotus, Euphoria, and The Last of Us, and will be putting its focus on those projects in 2024 instead of new development, like we said before they're going back to what's already been made and not the new stuff but that's interesting though um yeah. because they were under a uk contract but i mean hey zaslov's a fucking snake of a motherfucker so <laughs> if he can get around something to put it out i'm not surprised but i'm also happy because i love game of thrones and house of the dragon so i'm pumped yes i wish they wouldn't have let zaslov in the room Iger and them should have just said stay the fuck away like we'll right. get this done you're not gonna take credit for it you piece of shit yeah like, exactly. <laughs> just i want this guy out can we just get him out i'm sorry he's like he's, he's chapic 2.0 and they need to just get fucking rid of him uh yeah. let's jump over to paramount speaking of paramount paramount's animated paw patrol the mighty movie looks to rule the box office this weekend a weekend packed with new releases yeah i'm actually excited about this weekend there's some good shit coming out three other movies lion gates gruesome saw 10 disney and new regency sci-fi thriller the creator and sony's gamestop stock inspired dumb money will open nationwide and attempt to break through during a crowded weekend now according to estimates paw patrol is aiming to lead that box office with 18 to 20 million but it might be a close race against saw 10 for first place on the box office charts the 10th Jigsaw Slasher movie is targeting somewhere between 15 and 18 million, though some projections expect initial ticket sales to hit 20 million or $25 million. Now, Paw Patrol The Mighty Movie is the sequel, of course, to 2021's inevitably named 
Paw Patrol the movie, which opened to 13 million while landing simultaneously on Paramount Plus and topped out with 40 million in North America and 144 million globally. The follow-up film, also produced by Spin Master Entertainment, cost about 30 million and opens day and date in 43 international markets, including Germany, Mexico, and Italy. Now, beyond box office ticket sales, the Paw Patrol movie is a huge driver of consumer products. In 2014, the franchise earned $14 billion in global retail sales. So people like their merch. (laughs) They really do, man. They really do. Um, I've only seen like, I think one of the Saw movies. Have you seen any? I've seen three of them, but kind of faded off. I just, you know, kind of like, I feel like after a while, you know, you're just you're it's the same thing. So yeah, I, it's very interesting. I did want to see the spinoff, though, with Chris Rock and uh, Samuel L. Jackson. I thought that was going to be good. Yeah, I might go um, back and 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 just readdress them, rewatch them, maybe give them another shot. Maybe just some time away from them will give me a better appreciation for them. I don't know. I think that's where I'm at, too, because I mean, you know, I I was never really like oh, I have to see Scream. But then, you know, we took that weekend and like watched all of them before the new one. So maybe, maybe it'll be something along those lines. I yeah, don't know. yeah. Um, Did we'll you see, see Bloom? We'll see. Jason Bloom was smart though. He's like, in all of these people, they, he was like, because Exorcist was supposed to be opening soon too. And mm-hmm. he said, we're not going up against Swift. It was supposed to open on the same day Taylor Swift's Eras tour movie was open. Yeah, he said, like, no. that's going to be the Swifter cyst, and we're not going up against that. That would be an ugly demise for The Exorcist, yeah. and we're not even going to touch it. Which is Smart. hilarious to me because that movie, guys, is going to have one of the biggest opening weekends of all time through just pre-sale. Hasn't even yeah. fucking sold tickets at the box office yet. It's already over $100 million. That's fucking crazy. It is super freaking crazy, man. Um, but this one's interesting because another important executive is leaving their post at Showtime. Amy Israel is stepping down from her position as head of scripted programming for Paramount Global Backed Networks. Um, the news, uh, which was announced internally Thursday via a memo from Chris McCarthy and Nina Diaz follows the February departure of uh, Gary Levine and uh, Jaina Winograd mm. uh, from their top roles at, at the premium cabler. Now, Levine, Levine uh, remains as an advisor, but Israel is leaving the role uh, effective today, actually. She's like, deuces. Um, but it will remain <laughs> on an advisory role throughout the year's end. It is unclear if she will be replaced yet, though. Um, Israel has been with Showtime for more than a decade and has helped develop some of their biggest hits, including Billions, Yellow Jackets, and a couple of other upcoming ones like The Curse and Fellow Travelers. Um, Israel joined uh, Showtime back in 2011 as Senior Vice President of Originals and rose through the ranks under Levine and Winograde. So... There you go, man. I mean, but you know how it goes. They leave here. They're going to pop up somewhere else. It's all good. Yeah, that's my question. Yeah. (laughs) Is she just going to go where they went? Because they're clearly a team. I mean, I I, I haven't heard yet where they went, but it seems like is that why she's leaving? She's just going to jump ship and go where she knows? I don't know. That's a huge loss, though, because if you look at the massive success of Billions and Yellow Jackets, I mean, this woman was hitting on all levels, and that's going to be a loss. There's no doubt about it. 
Agreed. This one is like a double-edged sword. I don't think that they were that Paramount was planning for the back end of this story to happen the way it happened. Taylor Sheridan's hit drama Yellowstone made its broadcast debut on CBS last week with an average of 6.6 million viewers tuning in to watch the series premiere that first aired on Paramount Network five years ago. Now that number decreased a little bit, but still to a solid 5 million with episode two on Sunday night. And here's what it seemed kind of funny. It seemed likely that a chunk of the viewers who dropped off, especially from within the 3 million viewers who had never seen the show before may have opted to stream the show at their own pace on Peacock instead of watching it on CBS. Because as you know, the ones on CBS, they're they're edited. They can't show the actual. And all of the first few seasons, other than the current season, are on Peacock. So were you trying to, like... Get people to draw towards Paramount Plus? Because if so, it backfired. They're going to Peacock to watch the show now, which I don't think Paramount was planning on, which is funny. Now, Paramount Global imported Yellowstone to CBS, obviously, for two reasons, like we said. To fill out its fall slate of scripted programming amid the strikes and to address previous research that revealed, and this is crazy to me, that 80% of CBS's 200 million annual viewers had never even watched it before, despite the fact Mm. that Kevin Costner's vehicle seemed like a fit for the network's demographic. It's also the most popular show on TV, so the idea that that many people that watch CBS have never seen it, that's crazy to me. The company set a goal of 5 million viewers for the initial broadcast and expected a lower number for episode due to to the lack of the NFL lead-in. So when it got 6.6 million and 5 million, respectively, for the viewers who tuned in, That represented a huge win for them. They got more than what they wanted on both those episodes. So congratulations. It makes sense. It's a fucking phenomenal show. But I wouldn't recommend watching it on CBS either. Go watch the first few seasons on Peacock and then jump on on Paramount Plus and catch up. Because, trust me, that's some crazy shit. But I guarantee you, you ain't seen all of it on CBS. Yeah, it's interesting because for me, it's like one of those shows that I don't even necessarily want to watch on a weekly basis. I think I like to binge watch that show because it is so crazy. So I need to know what happens. Yes. Next. So I'm just like, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's fine. I'll That's just wait on it. excellent point. That's how I was when I first jumped on the train because I was behind. I was way behind. And I watched that first episode. I'm like, fuck. And I just kept clicking because every ending to the episode's like, holy shit, what the fuck happens next? I was like, so I'm with you there. I think this is a show that you want to binge. You don't want to yeah. be able to have to wait for it like we are now, waiting to find out what happens to John and like all the kind of, ah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny so funny well ink master everybody knows i love this show it's so freaking good the joe madden hosted tattoo competition series that first launched back in 2012 is ready to be back with some more color to paramount plus the streamer announced that the 15th season of the series from mtv entertainment studios and truly original will premiere november 1st with three episodes Now, subsequent episodes will drop weekly. Joining the judging panel this season is three-time Ink Master uh, champion DJ 
Tamby. Uh, he will join returning judges Ryan Ashley, the first female tattoo artist to ever win the competition. She's pretty fucking badass. And <laughs> Nico Harrington, uh, the premier color realism artist. So that's very exciting. Everybody was very scared because there was a controversial thing that happened with one of the hosts from the original. Um, so how the new judges and the new host, because um, Dave Navarro no longer does it, but he comes back sometimes. Um, but it's still very entertaining. It's still very fun to watch. So if you haven't watched Ink Masters and you're into tattooing or just watching all of it, um, it's very fun, man. It's, Hell yeah. It's very fun. And they're hardcore, man. They don't they don't yeah. fuck around. When they're judging, they let you have it. I mean, they, they tell oh, yeah. you like it is. It, it's a great show yeah. to watch. If you're just an artist, it's fun. Like not exactly. even tattooing, but just the artwork that's involved in these, these creations, it, it's fucking phenomenal. Yeah, I definitely would highly recommend it. <sighs> Here we go. Not so happy sad. about this one. Stars is canceling four of its series. Specifically, Heels... Run the World and Blind Spotting will not get new seasons uh, at the cable network, while The Venery of Samantha Bird Season 1 is being scrapped before it even aired, which really sucks. Now, Heels, Run the World, and Blind Spotting all recently aired their second season at Stars, while The Venery of Samantha Bird was in production on its first season. Now, production was shut down, however, at the onset of the strike. It was reported at the time that only two episodes of the first season were left to shoot. Now, The Venery of Samantha Bird was to star Catherine Langford from 13 Reasons Why as the title character. Now, per the official logline, Samantha, while visiting family in New England, reconnects with her childhood sweetheart and falls headlong into a seemingly perfect storybook romance. But the couple's picture-perfect love story isn't as sweet as it seems on the surface. And now I guess we'll never fucking know because we're not going to see it. Now, these are all victims of the strike. There's no doubt about it. Stephen Amell will tell you because he got in trouble for saying it, but he's right. They weren't allowed to promote these shows. So they weren't out there saying the new season's out. Watch it now. It's an epic season. Let me tell you all about it. Kind of, they weren't allowed to do it, and I'm fucking pissed because Heels is one of the best written, best acted, best directed shows on television right now. It is a gritty, dark drama about the behind the scenes world of wrestling, and it's fucking phenomenal. And by the way, the season two fucking cliffhanger. What? You can't end it like that. What the fuck? I need to fucking know what's going to happen. You can't end it like that. So Logan and I have been talking. And if you guys are listening, Stephen Amell, anybody involved with this show, Kelly Bergelin, anybody, anybody involved with this show, creators, anybody, Peacock, go sir, go sell it to Peacock. Pitch it. Get them to buy in. They're already involved with the WWE. They just did a fantastic Cody Rhodes uh, um, behind-the-scenes documentary of his career, narrated by Stephen Amell, star of Heels. Um, they're all in on wrestling. They have a huge wrestling audience built into that streamer. This seems like a no-brainer to me. Just go pitch it to fucking Peacock. Please, Peacock, please pick this show up. Please pick it up. I think I, I personally think it would be a huge hit on Peacock. I really do. I think people would flock to it and because you've got that built-in audience from the wrestling world already there. They already know who Stephen Amell is. They I mean, so this just seems like a no-brainer to me. Yeah, man, it's it's rough. Uh, that's for sure. Because you're right, it is definitely one of the best ones. And we never like spoiler alert, I really wanted to know if uh 
fucking uh what's his name the 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 fatherly figure now. yeah well, yeah uh, yeah uh, if he had a heart attack because you saw him gripping his chest that's like, what they what were happened? leading to the whole time i thought that was going to be the cliffhanger but guess what yeah. it's not the fucking cliffhanger it's not maybe yeah. it is maybe it's and maybe and he has a heart attack but there's yeah. something else there's something yeah, else yeah. and and yeah. i don't even know i just want i just want to know this if he had stayed down after the jump Instead of right. getting up and climbing into the, was it when he got up and climbed into the ring that that's what fucked it? Like, right. I, I exactly. just, oh, you can't leave it like show, this. Guys. At it's least give it, you know show. what? Give it a two hour movie to wrap yeah. it up. If you're not going to yeah. save the series, give it the, like, like they did with Zoe's extraordinary mm-hmm. playlist. Somebody give it at least a two hour movie to wrap it up because you, you can't leave it like that for the fans. That's all I'm fucking no. saying. We'll uh, fucking make it. Come on, Steve. We'll make the fucking follow-up. I need to know what the fuck happens. That's all I'm saying. Yes. I mean, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, now we're heading over to Amazon slash MGM. This one's Guy exciting. Ritchie's the Covenant. If you guys haven't seen this one, Jake Gyllenhaal, it's it's a really good war movie. It's honestly one of my favorite war movies now. For sure. Um, and after releasing in the theaters in April, it's going to be streaming on Amazon Prime Video. Now, the wartime thriller is also available to rent for $5.99 or to buy at $19.99. Directed by Guy Ritchie, The Covenant tells the story of John Kinley, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, a U.S. Army Master Sergeant who risks his life to save a local interpreter um, named Ahmed. Now, the interpreter carried Kinley, or Kinley too safely after both survived a brutal gunfight during the war uh 2018 uh during the 2018 war in afghanistan now meanwhile master sergeant kenley recruits privately uh private military contractor eddie parker played by anthony Starr, to help him during the black ops mission now the cast also includes alexander ludwig who's in heels um, yes. Sean Seger, uh, Bobby Schofield, Emily Beckham, and Johnny Lee Miller. It's a phenomenal movie that didn't get enough credit. Uh, definitely be sure to check that out on Amazon Prime because it's it's definitely worth it, man. And and guys, it's a true story. Did this this yeah. actually happen? So these interpreters, basically, you know, they live in this country and they know that if their country finds out that they're helping the U.S., they're they're dead. They're going to be hunted down and executed and killed and their families and everything. So the U.S. promised these people visas and that they would be transported out of the country safely. And then when we decided to pull out, what what they must really like what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, When when the U.S. just pulled out unexpectedly, came home, they left those people there they didn't follow through with that promise of giving them visas and there are so many of them literally in hiding right now desperate to stay hidden for for sake of their lives and this movie is all about that about how the u.s dropped the ball on getting these people out of there when they risk their lives to help the u.s during the war it's fucked up it's really fucked up and i i highly recommend you watch this movie and learn this story and then say what the fuck Get these people yeah, right? visas and get them the fuck out of there. Like, I mean, just when you make a promise, when you're the fucking United States of America and you make a promise, you fucking follow through on the promise. That's all I'm saying. Like, you know, exactly. we're the greatest nation in the world, supposedly. We don't fucking walk away from our promises. That's, that's all I'm saying. 
<laughs> Speaking of walking away from promises, when you do, you might get sued. Netflix, we're going to jump over. They have been sued for breach of contract by a company that was creating a game based on the forthcoming Rebel Moon sci-fi films by Zack Snyder. Now, in the lawsuit, Evil Genius Games said it had begun working with Netflix in early 2023 to develop a tabletop role-playing game based on Rebel Moon with a delivery date to coincide with the first film's streaming release on December 22nd, 2023. Now, Evil Genius paid Netflix for a license with an agreement to share profits. But apparently earlier this year, Netflix terminated the deal, alleging that Evil Genius violated confidentiality agreements for Red Rebel Moon per the complaint. Now, the lawsuit filed this week in U.S. District Court in the Central District of California seeks unspecified monetary damages. Snyder, by the way, is not named as a defendant in the complaint. Now, Evil Genius agreed apparently to pay Netflix an upfront licensing fee of $7,500, followed by payments of $7,500 by February 1st, and then $10,000 by February 1st of 2025, as well as to share profits derived from the licensed articles with Netflix. Now, according to its lawsuit, Evil Genius halted other projects to specifically focus on the Rebel Moon game. By May, Evil Genius said it had produced 228-page World Bible, which vastly expanded on the universe envisioned by Snyder, a 430-page Player's Guide, and a 337-page Game Master's Guide. According to the lawsuit, the initial script for Rebel Moon was missing background information vital to the story as a whole to the world, and Evil Genius filled in all the missing pieces, along with a cohesive backstory for the entire Rebel Moon franchise. On May 25th of this year, Netflix terminated the agreement with Evil Genius, claiming Evil Genius had violated the confidentiality provisions in its contract by sharing artwork at an industry trade show one month earlier. In the lawsuit, Evil Genius said the termination came as a surprise because it had sent the artwork to Netflix in advance of the event, the Game Manufacturers Association Exposition, and that Netflix had approved its use. Documents containing the artwork were handed out to retailers at Gamma by Evil Genius's staff and actually to Netflix employees, the lawsuit asserts. Two weeks later, Netflix notified Evil Genius that all of its works on the project belonged solely and exclusively to Netflix. It became clear that Netflix was simply using the alleged breach and termination to hijack the intellectual property and prevent Evil Genius from releasing the game and collecting the profits. That's what I, I I'm going to go ahead and say I would agree with Evil Genius. If you yeah. sent the artwork and they approved, and then you actually even had two of your own employees with Evil Genius handing out the artwork, then you're going to say it was a breach of. Mm, seems yeah, a little shady. Yeah, that's rough. Well, and especially when you have certain situations that are kind of similar that you dealt with. So it's like, ah, that's so fucking crazy. Oh, boy. Copyright, man. Like, that's so, that's so thing. And oh, it's it, this thing, like, because that's a smaller company. And they yeah. Netflix knows that they can keep them in court with this lawsuit until they basically just go away. Because they can't afford to fight them. And I do yeah. know that all too well. Dan Jurgens. Um, Dan Jurgens. Dan Jurgens. Uh, fucking saying. Just anyway. Um, uh, anyway. Anyway. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but surprising to no one, no one out there, because Suits is still number one and on Netflix and the number one title on the Nelson streaming 
rankings for August 28th through September 3rd viewing window. With the 2.5 billion minutes watched, this is the 11th week in a row that the long-concluded USA Network drama has taken the top position thanks to its addition to Netflix in, July, uh, in June. If Suits lands on top again next week, it looks likely it will beat out Ozark to become the show with the highest number of first-place finishes. Regardless, the series is still nearly doubling viewership of the competition. It's such a great show. I'm so happy that it's getting recognition nowadays. You know, it's kind of like the uh, the Hayden Christensen thing, like, now. And, like, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. Oh, without doubt. And we should mention, even though this is we're talking about Netflix, but Peacock has also seen a 28% increase in viewership for Suits on, on Peacock because nice. it's also airing on Peacock, which really just takes us back to the very top about how they're totally getting fucked by not getting royalties from this huge boom. All those millions of viewers and all that time being watched and they're not getting a fucking dime while Netflix and Peacock are banking millions off of it. Just saying yeah. that seems pretty fucked up. Uh just reboot it. Just just bring it back. Not just reboot it. Revive do it. it. Let's yeah. revive it. Let's say and stand tall, Patrick J. You didn't owe an apology. You just said you missed your people. You missed working with them. You missed your family. And you and you agreed that we should do a revival. You didn't fucking owe an apology, my man. Appreciate you no. did one, but you didn't owe it. Uh, just saying, I wanted to get that out there because that was fucked up. Uh, yeah. Apple, let's jump over to Apple and finish this thing up. And if you guys haven't seen the trailer for this one. This is like what Matthew Vaughn does. It's fucking a mind twist. It's it, it's like you think you know, but you don't. Know. I don't know what the fuck is going on with my with my Zoom, but I I, <laughs> I fucking see an exclamation points and fucking mind twist. Are we gonna get balloons again? I don't know what I'm saying, but I got a lot of fucking celebration going on today on the show. <laughs> yeah. If you like fireworks and balloons and fucking exclamation points, I don't. <laughs> what the fuck is going? On? I literally, I swear to God, I didn't touch anything. I think hey, it's man, just. It's- it's a little extra for the YouTube. Video. I mean, it's you know, that's it. if you're if you're only listening and not watching, you should go check this out on YouTube because yeah. Zoom <laughs> has finally figured out how fucking animated and excited I get. They're yeah, fucking man. adding graphics for me. It's fucking fantastic. <laughs> oh, the first trailer. Now I'm almost scared to see what's gonna come though. Like, what what yeah. else is there? Um, so far we've been lucky. Um. The first trailer has dropped for Argyle, the latest Matthew Vaughn-directed spy thriller with a loaded cast led by none other than Henry Cavill. And get this, Dua Lipa, Sam Rockwell, Bryce Dallas Howard, John Cena, Brian Cranston, Catherine O'Hara, Adriana DuBose, and Samuel L. Jackson. That is a fucking epic cast. That's all I'm saying. That is awesome. Um, the Apple Original Films pick has a February 2nd theatrical release date set in partnership with Universal Pictures, which will roll it out globally before it becomes available on Apple TV+. Now, the script by Jason Fuchs centers on a famous spy novelist, Ellie Conway, whose book plots become valuable tools for a real super spy agency that includes Argyle. 
Grammy winner Lippa is also providing original songs for the pick. Now, this was the package that Apple snapped up way back in August of 2021 in a deal reportedly worth nearly $200 million with the aim to turn it into a franchise. Now, the pick is based on the upcoming novel by the same name and first-time author Ellie Conway. Ah, she's writing about herself, writing a book about... Like, the trailer, though, you think you're just watching Argyle and that this is the movie. But then you find out she's writing this book. And it's like you're seeing the book. But then we find out that Argyle's real. So the character that she thought she was writing as a fake character is actually a real character. Like, it's so fucked up. But watch the trailer and you'll be like, what the fuck am I watching right now? But Dua Lipa and Henry Cavill, they got chemistry. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. They looked really good together. That little scene right there, I'm all in with this one, man. I think this is going to be fucking fantastic. Oh, for sure. Like we said, I mean, Apple is just getting all of these underrated projects with all of these amazing actors. So I, I'm really excited about it, too, because, I mean, they just keep delivering. I mean, the new show or the new season of the morning show is out right now. Oh. I haven't watched Ooh. any of it yet. You haven't? But, um, oh. I haven't. Yeah. So man. good, I, bro. Uh... John Hamm <laughs> killing it, my man. Yeah. John Hamm. Uh, oh, so good. And it, it's funny, too, because he's also about to uh, be in the latest season of uh, Fargo. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. he's he's doing really well right now. But yeah, I'm I'm super excited about this Apple TV Plus. Like, if you all don't have it, it's really freaking worth it. Well, um, I'll it's tell one you. of the l- least amount you have to pay for a streamer too. It's like five bucks. Yeah, and uh, and I'll tell you, they are the prime example of quality over quantity. They don't they have as many out there as all the bigger streamers, but they're spending money and they're putting out quality shit. So the little bit that they have out there. It's probably the best that's out there, honestly. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, like you said, and they have money. So you don't have to pay a lot for their service because they have exactly. money. They're spending $200 million a pop on quality shit. You know, that's that's what I like about it. So, woo! Exactly. That was fun. Much Even Zoom thought that shit was fun. <laughs> yeah, right. And much anticipated uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, too. That's oh, yeah, in yeah. A couple weeks. So I'm really excited about that. But I actually just started... Um, the wire i have never seen the wire before so i'm i'm in the first season right now so that's that's been entertaining i was like oh look a little young michael b jordan and like you know so that that's been fun dude the seriously um, the amount of people that you're gonna see on that show you're gonna be shitting as you watch it go on because the amount of yeah. people that came through that show or got launched from that show you're gonna be like holy shit yeah it's yeah. so good it is it was well above its time that's all i'm saying it was it was out there doing shit before people were doing shit and it, it's groundbreaking for what it was yeah. back then uh, so i'm so glad you're watching it's so good Right? For sure, man. For sure. Well, now it is time for the top five segment. And this week, it is top five all-time favorite sitcoms. Mm. I feel like if anyone is a regular listener to this show, you should know what my number one is. I know. Oh, come on. Without doubt. Come on. Without doubt. Uh, and you should know several on my list because I reference them yeah. all the fucking time. But I know. I'm actually surprised by your number one. So I are no, you? I, I don't know. I don't know why. I just thought there would have been something different. I don't I really don't know. Um, but I'm super excited about this one because there's a lot of good content on there, and we've literally watched all of these things all the way through. Um, uh, number five for me goes to Thank you for being a fan. <laughs> yes, the Golden Girls. Come on now. I feel like this concept and this show not only is hilarious, not only gives you so many amazing actresses and 
like an amazing time of their life, but it also shows you that no matter at what point in your life, you're always going to have some shit that's going on. It's never just going to be calm, cool, collected. You're always going to have some random goofy drama for no reason. Um, There is going to be all of that lighthearted, like fun stuff, but then you're also going to have the stupid stuff that gets under your skin and that you get over quickly and are able to have the conversations. But I just feel like, you know, the golden girls is just such a good example of that to show you that, Life's one big roller coaster, and as long as you keep that positive attitude, you'll continue moving forward, and you'll be just fine. Mm. And you know, you got to be thankful for your friends. That's for sure. Um, oh, without doubt. Yeah, man. I mean, come on now. One of the best of all time, the Golden Girls. Yes, I love that. Just brilliant show from start to finish. Everything about it was fantastic. It's great that it's on your list. My number five is Sunday, Monday, Happy Days, Tuesday, Wednesday. I, uh, I mean, just. And I it, look, if you're my age and you grew up in the 70s and 80s, Tuesday night was where you needed to be. I want to give an honorary. Woo! Tuesday night. <laughs> Tuesday night. Woo! <laughs> what the fuck? Um, anyway, uh, Tuesday, <laughs> you had Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Three's Company, just like all these epic Tuesday night shows. Um, and Happy Days, look, how do you get out of when you've been stereotyped as an iconic character. Little Ronnie Howard, Opie, forever known as Opie, right? He's never going to get away from it. How do you get away from it? By creating another iconic character that you will be stereotyped as, Richie Cunningham. Little Ronnie went to Big Ron and became Richie Cunningham. Um, Look, this is a classic look at the 1950s you know, and 60s. Uh, you had the the hoods, like you know, and then you had the 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 jocks and the preppies and the nerds, and uh, it was just brilliant. And and Henry Winkler as the Fonz, I can't even tell you that he wasn't even meant to be the main character. He wasn't even meant to be a star of the show. He was a secondary, but it took off so much that it be he just took the limelight and just launched and. I'm so excited. I'm going to be meeting him in about a month and a half. I'm so excited to be able to meet him and get his book and have him sign it and talk to him. For, it's going to be amazing. But this show, it launched so many people. Like I said, it redefined Ron Howard, right? You got Henry Winkler. You, you did you get a little guy named Robin Williams? Got his stuff launched on that show, Mork and Mindy. Mork was a guest star in an episode of Happy Days before it got spun off into its own show. Go figure that, right? Um, Mr. Miyagi. Like, so many people. Dumb fuck Scott Baio. Like, um... mm. Uh, yeah, it's just, it was a really fun show about family values, about good people that not always get the right thing done and somebody that needs to make sure they're taken care of. Hence, Fonz taking care of the Cunninghams and the Cunninghams taking care of Fonz. It was, it was just how you do it. And so it was, it was a feel good show and it just, yeah, happy days. It made me happy. (laughs) so good it obviously made zoom happy yeah no. uh, uh, <laughs> um, number four for me goes to malcolm in the middle because not only did so many great actors and actresses come from this show um i mean you got frankie munez who is now a freaking race car driver i think that's hilarious and here um, but <laughs> he's yeah, here right, exactly. right down the road from me like that's where this he races out um, of here but then i mean of course 
the brilliant Brian Cranston. Ugh. Come on, starting off in this, like he was Steve Carell before Steve Carell, basically. Yes. Yeah. Where he started off in comedy, but now you see like the drama that he is able to bring to the table. Um, but what I really love about this show is it shows you that family dynamic to where like each of the siblings is the same, but also vastly different. Mm. Um, and it shows how people can fit into their families when they kind of feel like an outsider. Um, and it shows that you're not the only one who does feel like that because obviously it is centered on the middle child, Malcolm, who is going through his everyday day, daily lives. But then of course he has the younger brothers and the two older brothers. Um, but it shows you his relationship with everybody and how he's able to go throughout life. Um, and it was just such a hit popular show but it because I go to bed to some sitcoms and animated shows and friends. Um, but then I uh, I can't I can't go to bed to this one because like the theme song is just so loud that I'll wake up every freaking two seconds. You're not the boss of me now. I'm like, yes. oh my God. Uh, but it's such a good theme song, though. For um, sure. But yeah, number four for me, Malcolm in the Middle. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing never going to be anything like that. No, no, I agreed. Agreed. It's a brilliant show. Again, that like launched so many people. Like you just don't yeah. realize. It's it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, my number three uh, makes me ask a question. Will you come and knock at my door? <laughs> come and knock at my door. Uh, three's Company. I mean, holy shit. Three's Company gave us the incomparable, brilliant, sorely missed, never to be duplicated uh, John Ritter. This man was masterful at pratfall comedy. Like this guy could do it better than anybody ever and and just unbelievable. And Joyce DeWitt and Suzanne Summers and then Priscilla Barnes and like and all the people that came in after um Mr. and Mrs. Roper, oh my two of the best characters ever created. <sighs> And uh Mr. Furley, Don Knotts, Don Knotts. I mean just listen. This show did a brilliant job of answering the lifelong question, can men and women be just friends? Platonic. Can can straight men and women live together and not have something happen? Not get into a romantic relationship? And the question was answered. Yes, they can. As long as one of them pretends to be gay and throw off the landlord. <laughs> and Why? it was so brilliant. Um, yeah, I just, I, I can't say enough about this show and, and what it did. It just pure physical comedy. The most ridiculous situations. You know it's ridiculous. This conversation is never happening. This event is just not real life. It didn't matter. It was so fucking funny and so over-the-top ridiculous that it just worked. And they could not, I, in my opinion, Joyce DeWitt and Suzanne Somers, brilliant, but they could not have done this show without John Ritter. Any other person in the role of Jack Tripper does not work. And I'm just going to say this. If you've never seen the show, first of all, what? But if you've never seen the show, there's this one episode where Jack is afraid to fly and him and Janet played by Joyce DeWitt are going to this party and it's very important that it's an important party for Janet and she needs everything to be like impressed and everybody needs to put on a good well he ends up taking some 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 drugs to deal with flying and they kick in at the party because he mixes them with alcohol dude 
The shit that he does in this episode, the dancing, the pratfalls, the flips over couches. He does this little dance with the flower pot on his head. It just it is the single greatest episode of comedy with pratfall and 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 ridiculous over the top that I've ever seen him. How he did it with a straight face, I will never fucking know. But he's basically mm. drunk and high and he's telling everybody he runs into that he's a different profession. He's a doctor, he's a lawyer, he's this, he's that. While he's doing all this stuff, I, I don't if you ever want to catch this one episode of this show to make you hooked and want to watch it, it's that episode. Um and and yeah, just fucking brilliant. And one of our buddies, Jason Ritter, is in the opening credits of one of the seasons of the show. He's the little boy at the zoo. Just a little trivia there for you. Um yeah, Three's Company. Just I love it. Fucking brilliant, man. Brilliant. Oh yeah, for sure, man. For sure. It's good to hear because I never really got to experience a lot of John Reader stuff. So when I went back and watched up, what was that? Eight Simple Rules. Oh, uh, oh. It's so good. It, like, I mean, just the dynamic that I've seen on that show. And I mean, with Kaylee Cuoco and like, yeah, it's just, he was such an amazing actor and I'm so privileged and we're so lucky to get to be, you know, a part of something that is bigger than us, you know, with, yeah um freeze hd and our friendship with jason ritter and the family and it's just it's been an amazing time and i'm happy we've been able to be a part of something like that you know yeah and and kudos to to jason and 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 tyler and 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 the whole family because they are a testament to who john was and they are following in his legacy of being those type people and if you ever need to wonder just talk to jason ritter for half a second and you'll understand who John Ritter was and the type of yeah. children that he raised and Kaylee Cuoco, like you said, for that matter, listen to her talk about that relationship with him and what that meant. And, and yeah, it, it's just, it's something really special. It's something really special. It, it is, man. It is. Uh, well, number three for me goes to scrubs. I uh, yes. scrubs. I remember being a little kid watching scrubs, um, and just being like, I can't do this all on my own. No, I'm no Superman. And all of these freaking have great theme songs. I mean, come on. Um, but I just love this because it's one of those shows that, you know, it's kind of like a couple of other different sitcoms, but in a different format with centered around being a doctor and that profession. But I love it because, you know, being in your 20s and trying to find yourself as an adult and not being a kid anymore, but still also having some kid goofy qualities um, is something that I feel like is um, very, very special, oh, you know, and the dynamic that that whole team brought together um you know i i just feel like it was something special and maybe even a little ahead of its time i know it was a a decently popular show when it was on but i do feel like it was a little ahead of its time i also love too the the freezing moments where you know jd is trying to figure out what's going on in his head and how he's trying to interpret other people's thoughts and other people's opinions and things like that. Because I feel like a lot of us do that nowadays where we're oh, trying to, yeah. you know, we're in a conversation and we're trying to interpret. And then like, we're trying to interpret what they just said, but then we also are doing that at the same time. They're saying something else to where we are not even listening to what they're saying. Um, so that it's, it's something that I feel like I can relate a lot to. And, you know, Bill Lawrence, he he created something truly special. And I feel like, you know, what he's done in current daytime is truly special, too. And I'll get into that a little bit later on in my uh, top five. But, yeah, 
Scrub says number three. There you go. Great choice. And I love how they've kind of rekindled it with the commercials, the, the cell commercials. Right. And stuff. I, so I love funny. that. It's so good. So good. Um, my number three, I want to preface, it's a great sitcom. And I'm going to talk about a little bit how it was one of the first ones to really highlight the point that a woman can be the, the, the breadwinner in a family and bringing home the money and being successful while the man stays at home and takes care of the family. It really – that was the highlight of the story of what it was about, right? But there is literally one reason and one reason only that I gravitated to this sitcom and watched this sitcom. That's because I was over the top in love with Alyssa Milano. We're right there around the same age. And, um, yeah, I had it bad. I'm not even going to lie. I had it bad for Alyssa Milano. Little Samantha Maselli on Who's the Boss. My number three is Who's the Boss. And it was a great show. Tony Danza's brilliant. Judith Light, the, the late Catherine Hellman, uh, Danny Pintoro. All of them fantastic. All of them. But it was Alyssa Milano. I was tuning in every week to see Alyssa Milano. <laughs> like That's I it. had her teen steam shit posted all over my wall. I had the workout video. I'm not even going to fucking – I may or may not still have a crush on Alyssa Milano. I might still be crushing. I'm just saying. Say what you want about her. Like, you know, she went on to Charmed and all this, and now she's a political activist and all – say what you want. But I That's probably fine. still have a crush on Alyssa Milano. I, I think oh. I may always have a crush. But aside from that, aside from that, I like I said, I want to emphasize this was one of the first sitcoms that really kind of said they took it to that level of Angela is the breadwinner. She's the big corporate person. She is, you know, Tony's the former baseball player that's now a housekeeper just looking for a way to take care of his kid. Um, and that change of dynamic as to who runs the house and who is in control. Because really back at that time, it's kind of taboo. You know, men are yeah. the breadwinner. The woman stays home and takes care of the family. It's not the other way around. And they, they, they took cracks at that. Tony took ribbing for that. What do you mean he's the housekeeper? Is he like your lover? You know, kind of a, you know, they, and so they really did a lot to, Get rid of the stereotype and the stigma attached to women in the workplace and and being able to have a family regardless. She was a single mother with a son. And um, so it was a very important show during its time. Matthew Perry, uh, Nicole Eggert, like so many people went through that show. Uh, the late, great Ray Charles. There's this one episode mm. where this guy is like hopelessly in love with Samantha and Samantha just won't give him the time of day. And he writes this song for her and Ray Charles performs the song it's called always a friend we've all been friend zoned you know we've all been friend zoned and the song is basically about being friend zoned you're desperately in love but you're always a friend um brilliant episode ray charles fucking ray charles hitting it home and uh yeah <laughs> so anyway my number three i just fucking love this show who's the boss and and Alyssa, call me call me <laughs> Yeah, Come on the show. Good. We'll talk about my crush. Come on. Fine, we'll talk about your – you're doing comic books now. You're political activist. Come on. We've got so much to talk about. Come on. Oh, my goodness. Just uh, saying. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> my number No two. balloons for that. What the fuck? I'm professing my crush to Alyssa Milano. I didn't get fireworks. I didn't get fucking balloons. What the oh, fuck? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, even Zoom was like – Even down, Zoom's man. like, calm down, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my number two goes to Ted Lasso. Uh, another 
freaking amazing one on Apple TV Plus. Um, again, we we're talking about quality over quantity. Um, this show is absolutely amazing. I brought up Bill Lawrence earlier for Scrubs. He is the showrunner for Ted Lasso. Um, so I feel like, you know, with everything that we are in with society nowadays where people judge you off of the cover they don't read mm. the book they judge the cover mm -hmm. um that is definitely what this show is because you know you have an american football coach a literal football coach who comes over to england to coach soccer their football and everybody thought you know it was a dumb decision it was going to be stupid um and of course he brought his southern charm and i mean it makes for a great comedy and you do get a lot of comedy as well but then they do lead into a mental health aspect where not the people wear masks and it, not everything's cracked up as it seems to be mm -hmm. um so i think it's a very great representation of that and it's a great freaking show if you haven't checked out ted lasso yet it is definitely worth the watch it is it's an amazing show um it's truly something special it is a a true testament to current day sitcoms um because there's not a lot that are successful nowadays um, so it is a true testament to current day sitcoms. So mm. yeah, number two for me, Ted Lasso. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, that was a really good description and a really like nice tribute to that show. Cause it, it is all that and, and it's fantastic. And if you're a sports fan, you should be watching that show. Just any yeah. sport fan, you should be watching that show. It, it's so true. Uh, my number two, I have to say, this is probably one of, if not the best created written character for a sitcom yeah. ever i'm talking about kelsey Grammer's frazier who was written as a guest star on cheers and went over so well he became a regular on cheers got his own show based on the character has a played the character in several different shows like crossing over kind uh, just amazing but frazier i'm talking about frazier it is one of the most intelligent sitcoms it has you laughing your ass off there's no doubt about it it's funny but it's intelligent it's a sitcom that while it has you laughing it has you thinking and I, what a brilliant thing what a brilliant concept that if you can make someone laugh but also make them think and 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 have them have to decipher what they're watching what they're going through what they're looking at I think that's just brilliant. And Kelsey Grammer's just performance as Frasier, I, I've just never seen anything like it. It's an absolutely brilliant performance of this character. And I am so thrilled that it's coming back and that they're, you know, they're giving us the next phase of life for Frasier and where he's at now. And, and the son is grown up. Will we see Lilith? That's the, will we see mom Lilith? You know, um, just, yeah, I can't say enough about this show and the performance by Kelsey Grammer. It is one of my all-time favorite shows, and I just legitimately think one of the most intelligent characters ever created for television. I just think it was a brilliant job. If you haven't watched it, check it out. Frasier. Watch it and then get excited for the, for the, for the follow-up that's coming because I think it's going to be brilliant. Yeah, for sure. I really thought this one was going to be your number one because uh, it is such an intelligent sitcom like you know there's a lot of things that i feel like i don't know nowadays everything is kind of dumbed down you know there's yeah. certain shows that do give you that that satisfaction when it comes to that but 
I feel like Frasier was ahead of its time and I feel like it was also perfect for that time. So it's it's one of those shows that I feel like could have gone on for years and years and years and we'll see how long this revival goes on. Yeah. You know, it's um yeah, it's definitely it's a great one. Um, Fraser Crane, those tossed salad and scrambled eggs. Yes. Great theme song. Yes. Great freaking theme song. <laughs> I like what you just said, though, about dumbed down. This show at no point ever dumbed down for the audience. This mm-hmm. this was an intelligent comedy, which you just don't get. It's rare. And, and yeah, I love that you use that term because I, I think it would be an insult to the character of Fraser Crane and to the performance that was created by Kelsey Grammer to dumb it down for the audience. He's supposed to be an elitist. He's supposed to be an intelligent guy who thinks he's above you. So to dumb it down to your level would defeat the purpose of the character. So it was just, it was brilliant writing from start to finish. And yeah, yeah, just Frasier. (laughs) I fucking love it. So good. So good. Um, Well, we are here. It is my number one. Has anybody made a guess yet? Because, come on, I feel like you should know. My number one is Friends. Come on. I mean, just, yeah, I recently uh, just got back into it, started watching it again, and I just, it's so good. It's so classy. And I mean, of course, they could have been better with diversity. Of course, you know, things could have been better in certain situations. Um, But it's still one of the greatest shows of all time. It's still one of my favorite shows of all time. And I will never, you know, apologize for that. No, That is definitely, you know, I I just feel like a lot of, people like to hate on a lot of things um and we need to flip that narrative to where hey why can't we just love a lot of things um but yeah it's just it's a great dynamic of being in your early 20s and growing into parents growing into people and just trying to make it and find yourself in a career field as you know an individual person um it's just yeah it's my favorite and always remember that i'll be there for you Yes. There it is. Nice pivot. (laughs) Pivot. (laughs) You know what I love about that show? It's cross-generational. It is. I I watched when it was its original run, right? Like when it was a brand new show just coming on. I watched it become the massive hit that it became through its original run. And then to see my daughter and you and this generation catching it and going, oh, and viewing it the way I viewed it when it first was on, it's amazing to see a show be able to capture generation after generation as if it was brand new, as if they were seeing it for the first time. And it's this massive hit. And Friends does that. There's no doubt about it. Friends crosses those generational lines and does that for every audience. And I think that's fantastic. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a great pick. It was a phenomenal. Yeah, it just it, you can't you can't argue. It was it was yeah. It was and I, I did watch it in its original run too because I've told you like and I've told the world that my mother was obsessed. with Oh it. yeah remember, yeah yeah. I I remember the finale when it actually went off and then all of them showing up on Oprah the next day when <laughs> Oprah had her own show. Yes <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I just it's one of those things, man. It's I loved it. We even recorded it on our VCR. Yes <laughs> yeah. Of course you did. Of course. Um, Come on. 
I got to say, before I reveal my number one, there's so many honorable mentions. I feel like we should come back to this because I could do this list like 20 more times. Like oh, yeah. MASH and All in the Family and Barney Miller and the Jeffersons and Good Times and just like different strokes and, and facts of life. I could literally just pour on sitcoms that were part of my growing up that were yeah. so instrumental in my growing up. Sitting around right. back in the day when families actually sat around the table and watched these sitcoms, these shows, Growing Pains, and like all these things, um, Full House, and and just so we we should come back to this one, okay? We should come back and do this again with our next fleet of favorite sitcoms. Um, but my number one, and I chose this as my number one because this is definitively true, and I will state it wholeheartedly. Fact, hook me up to the lie detector, do whatever you want. This is the only sitcom, the only show that made me laugh every single time. There's not a single episode, and I'm talking laugh out loud, like literally burst out into loud laughter in the middle of wherever I'm at when I watch it. It is the only show that has ever made me do that. There's not a single episode of this show that I can watch that at least once I won't burst out into loud laughter. And if that is not what a situational comedy is supposed to do, I don't know what is, you know? This was, again, another intelligent show that poked fun at intelligence and poked fun at the nerds. I guess that's another reason I love it so much because they're comic book geeks. They're comic nerds. They're sci-fi nerds but they're smart and i felt like that that's always my people <laughs> so i couldn't help but love this show and um like i said it's truly the only sitcom that has ever made me laugh out loud in every single episode so it had to be at the top of my list big bang theory and talk about a phenomenal cast i mean can you can, i just if you were going to oh i mean you talk about ensembles, right? Like Friends and Seinfeld and like all these great, but how do you, how do you, because you, now you got to live up to that bar. How do we get mm -hmm. there again with all these ensemble casts that were so brilliant? Cheers and MASH and all these legacy shows. Big Bang. That's how you do it. Yeah. You assemble this cast and, and they're legends now. Th those characters are iconic. You, all you need to say is Sheldon. All you need to say is Penny. You know you don't even have to go any further. You just know who they are. And, um, yeah, my number one, the big band. And talk about uh, God Rest His Soul, right? Smash Mouth. But great freaking theme song. It's a theme song yeah. that as soon as you hear it, what do you think about? You don't even think about the band anymore. You don't even think about the song. You think about Big Bang Theory as soon as you hear the song. It's just, yeah, yeah, brilliant show. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, yes, that is our top five all-time favorite sitcoms. And we want to know, what is your favorite sitcom of all time? Be sure to leave a comment below in the YouTube section or the podcast section. We love the fan interaction. That's a tough one. Uh, I bet we get a lot of responses for that one because there's so many beloved sitcoms, right? Like, oh yeah. So many, so many. Um, well, now heading over to the box office recap. It was a little light last week. Um, the Nun <laughs> 2 came out, and it only grabbed about you know 8.4 million dollars mm, mm. um number two was the expendables four um that one only grabbed about 8.3 million dollars um you guys see you guys see what sequels do 
industry, Hollywood, you listening? Just saying. Um, just saying. Yeah, just saying. And not everything's Maverick, okay? Not everything's <laughs> Maverick. Um, a Haunting in Venice uh, was 6.3 at number three. And The Equalizer 3 was at number four with 4.7 million. And number five, Barbie's still hanging strong with $3.2 million. Yeah. Now, new movies that are coming out this week are The Creator. Now, I do want to see this one. Um, it's, it looks very interesting. AI. Um, it's got, <laughs> yeah, AI and uh, John David Washington. Like, he, he's an amazing actor. He's really coming into his own and coming out of the shadow that is his father, Denzel Washington. Which is interesting that you say that because then they're talking about doing a prequel to The Equalizer where John David would play his dad's character. Right? I mean, but it but it totally makes sense. Why de-age Denzel when you can do John David and it, it'd be son, the same yeah. thing? It'd, I mean, close your eyes, you'd swear to God you were listening to him anyway. It's like it's yeah. just yeah, it's just nuts. It's so great. Uh but yes, the creator, uh Saul, and then we got Paw Patrol, the mighty movie. Holy shit, what a slow week, <laughs> man. I know everyone has had advanced tickets for Paw Patrol. But I'm just super excited to see what this week entails. Um, some new movies coming out. We're super excited about that. So it's always good to just see things back at the box office yeah. that are worth watching. How would you um, describe but, the creator? I would go, um, like, if I were to pick two things to merge to describe the creator, I would say iRobot and Terminator. I think those are good. Right? Are like, like, like yeah. it's that because premise. It is, yeah, it is very AI generated like iRobot, but it is very end of the world like Terminator. Like it's going to um, take over the world. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I completely think so. So, but it looks really good. It like does. I said, it does. Um, new movies you can still go see right now My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3. Uh, it lives inside Dumb Money. Uh, definitely want us to check out that one. Um, Blue Beetle and Oppenheimer. Those are also at the box office this weekend. Can I just give a shout out um, to Universal because it looks like they are going to hold Oppenheimer until it hits a billion. I love that. that it, it's clinging on. It's it's making incremental amounts lately, not a huge amount. But I think they really want Oppenheimer to hit that billion dollar mark. And it's so close. It's so, so close. close. Like just uh, kudos to them for, I think, trying to hold it to get it there because I think it deserves yeah. it. But, you know. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of trying to hold it, man, oh, man, I really got a piece. <laughs> so we're going to run through the rest of this show. I'm just letting you all know. <laughs> Uh, Wait, where are the balloons? Where are the balloons? No, no. Uh, IMDb Pro's top trending segment is uh, the top trending movie is The Haunting in Venice. I, I really don't know anything about this movie, um, but we'll watch the trailer after this, after I pee. Um, the top trending TV show is Ahsoka Still. It's an amazing show. I really hope it gets a season two. Um, and with that being said, the top trending star is still Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um, Ass. for reasons that yeah. may not be it's not it, the, the top 10 um, star is not Mary Elizabeth Winstead it's Mary Elizabeth Winstead's ass at, which is ridiculous about it. let's just it's crazy star is rarely ever because of a movie or their <laughs> exactly. performance or anything she's like a that. brilliant actress but nobody cares yeah. it's like what the nobody fuck cares. man what the um, fuck <laughs> well guys thank you for tuning in for the 235 <laughs> of it cap podcast we thank you so much uh we also got to thank our producer jason yes all of our interns here at crazy amp media our um brand manager delana nolan emily uh mike everybody here at crazy ant media y'all have been amazing 
Be sure to follow us everywhere. The company at Crazy Ant Media and the podcast at ItCap Podcast. And you guys know you can follow us personally on social media. Myself at J Logan Austin and at Crazy Ant CEO. Yes, we are anywhere and everywhere, guys. We, we really are. are. It's true. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast anywhere you listen to your podcast. Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, Podbean, Stitcher, and so much more. If you're watching this video on YouTube, we appreciate it. I'm sure you got a little laugh out of uh, Dustin's Zoom, man. I don't know <laughs> make what's a, going on Make a that. drinking game out of how many times we saw balloons or fireworks. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'll be drunk be about sh- five minutes in. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> uh, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and ring the bell for all the latest and greatest notifications coming out of crazy ant media but man it honestly it's so good to finally get closer to that finish line with the strikes um the wga i hope everybody you know goes back and listens to that and includes all the details because it is a lot that's for freaking sure um but of course there are a lot of things that were canceled due to the strike so that really sucks that's definitely been something that uh i hope some stuff gets shopped around specifically heels because i gotta tell you other than bmf when it comes around for season three i might just cancel that shit again yeah I mean, no stars is, is one of those that it's like you know if there's not a really a show on there and if i'm not watching power uh what's the point yeah so, yeah yeah I agree with you wholeheartedly, everything you just said. And I feel like if there is one that can come off of there that has a chance at being picked up and saved, it's heels. It deserves yeah. to be saved. That's all That's all I'm saying. I just, yeah. Uh, I want to give a shout out that uh, All Rise is back on. If you guys haven't jumped over to OWN, All Rise is back. And holy shit, it's fucking epic. I want to stress again, please save this show. Give it another season. Holy shit. Jay Alex Brinson and Lindsey Gorton, all of them are just fucking amazing. I just wanted to put that out there because if you're not watching that show, you should be too. Um, anyway. <laughs> all good. All good. We love it. We love it. And you know, I know we love the one, the only. Oh, bro. Oh,